BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by the Chicago Federation of Labor, SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. Yeah, every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky Show, Ramana Hussein, uh, the pride and joy of Lincolnwood, the uh, editor columnist of the Chicago Sun-Times joins us. And Ramana, thank you so much for, I, you're at a different location today, yes. an undisclosed location, uh, but you're weighing in. It's, it's, it's my mom's house, that's why. Oh. I'm, we- I'm wearing a mask. I was around my mom like a few seconds ago and... Uh, the nice thing is when I do stop, I haven't, I haven't gone to my mom's house for work in a long time. I had been doing that just to mix it up for work, but um, had to pick my younger sister up from a medical procedure she had. So it was close to my mom. So I just like stopped by and my mom makes me lunch when I'm here. So I was oh. eating a few minutes ago. Man, I'm coming <laughs> over right now. I've heard uh, from many sources that your mom is an excellent cook. She is. And uh, I think you're one of the sources that told me that as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, plenty to discuss with you. Uh, the inauguration is at the top of the list just a few days ago. Uh, and since you're the only one who is remotely fashionable uh, in, the, in the Ben Jarofsky show, uh, I just I know it sounds so uh, frivolous to discuss fashions, but um, between Bernie's mittens and uh, uh uh, wait, who else? Who was wearing the muumu? Oh, uh, she wasn't even at the inauguration. That was Melania. Melania's muumu. Uh, lots of fashion news. Any fashion updates on the inauguration before we get to the really important, the substantive stuff? For sure, for sure. I mean, I, I I'm not gonna lie. I mean, that's something that we I pay attention to, um, and it's nothing that I think is important. But I was paying attention to the fashions, and I have to tell you, like even before the inauguration started or before I even started work that morning, um, an editor of mine started sending me messages about everybody's fashion. And then she started commenting and then she felt bad. She's like, sorry, I know you weren't working at the time. And I'm like, no, I, you know, I turned on the TV. So I was watching and we're, we're, we had a running commentary about what everybody was wearing. And she, she's this person who was an editor at the Sun Times. I won't name her name. She's like, wow, even Hillary, look at her hair. It looks good. <laughs> so, um, you know, we were, we were commenting. Um, we definitely, I don't know if you would noticed, but the monochrome look was totally in this year where it was like one color. You saw, you saw Kamala Harris and uh, Hillary Clinton and Michelle Obama, who I thought kind of, for me, she kind of stole the show with her, I don't know if it was a jumpsuit or a pantsuit, but I just thought that look was awesome. Um, I, I did not notice. She was wearing she was wearing this like maroon like pantsuit, and it was a matching coat on top. Um, if you notice, a lot of Joe Biden's um, granddaughters, I think their grandchildren, they were all wearing monochromatic coats. So a lot of people said the coats kind of stole the show. And then Ella Emhoff, who's uh, Doug Emhoff's. Um, daughter and Doug Emhoff is Kamala Harris's husband. She was, she's a, she's actually a student. She goes to Parsons school of design. She's a, she's a fashion student. So she was wearing this jacket that I was not a fan of, but it was a really big hit. 
I didn't like, it was like kind of like a checkered long coat. And then it had like gemstones on top. And I thought that looked like leaves that fell on her, <laughs> you know, that fell on the top of her uh, jacket. But a, a lot of people liked her um, coat. They thought it stood out. And then of course, everybody noticed Lady Gaga's poofy dress, which I, which I did not like. Um, what about the uh, big pin? Yeah, the big eagle pin. Yeah, my, yeah. So my friends were, while I was talking to this uh, former, you know, I mean, not a former, but a colleague of mine, my friends were all texting too. And my friend's like, God, that pin's going to like, it's huge. They're like, you'll make her fall over. So we were, we were kind of laughing at her, Lady Gaga's dress. She did a good job with the national anthem. And then, of course, J-Lo came in. She was wearing all white. I didn't like her roughly part of her shirt, but I thought she looked good. So, yeah, you know, there's like superficial things about the um, inauguration that some of us pay attention to. So a lot of people are paying attention to the coats that, um, you know, obviously it was cold. And obviously Bernie Sanders, so when Bernie Sanders uh, came out, my colleague goes, Bernie looks like he's wearing a coat from Burlington Coat Factory. <laughs> and she goes, not that there's anything wrong with it. My coat's from Burlington Coat Factory, too. But, and you know, and then she, she pointed out that the gloves were from a teacher that, you know, a teacher gave um, Bernie Sanders the gloves. And they were made from, like, I don't know, different kind of yarns from, like, special material. And then you saw the Bernie memes were all over the place. Like they have pictures of Bernie sitting with the kids from the breakfast club. I don't know if you saw this one from the Muppet show. Remember they had those two judges sitting in the corner, whoever those two old men, they had Bernie put in there. Um, it's like, everybody's having fun with it. And I just saw an article a few minutes ago that say, saying that Bernie actually has seen the memes. So he's been paying attention. So, and then, you know, there's a lot of chatter about people, you know, saying, why did Bernie have to get so much attention? And people are like, who are Bernie fans? are like, oh, just shut up and enjoy the show. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, so. Bernie haters everywhere, yeah, man. So it's, 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 it's fun. It's funny. And, you know, and, so every, and then, you know, my some of my friends who are big Bernie fans are like, look, he's such a simple guy. He doesn't care. He just, you know, sitting there with what with wearing whatever he wants to. And I'm like, yeah, he could wear whatever he, whatever he wants to. That's fine. That's like the whole... You know, it's a, it's not like, it, again, it's not a fashion show and some of us just pay attention to it. So I, I thought that I think everybody was having fun with the Bernie memes. Yeah, it was well, kind of like lightening the mood from what we've had to deal with for the last four years. All right. So let me ask you a question that's really going to be ignorant. And uh, I'm just asking anyway, because when it comes to fashion, uh, I'm really ignorant. So <clears throat> is it like all the designers, do they... It, 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 is it just by happenstance that they all have a similar look or are the designers working in conjunction with one another uh, to have a similar look? That's, it, a, good, I mean, yeah, that's go ahead. a good point. I think, I think I know some of the designers that were featured or uh, that some of the, I think Kamala Harris and maybe one other person, not sure if it was Michelle, but they actually specifically had black designers um, I would think that they are some sort of collaboration because how does Hillary, Michelle, and Kamala, these three powerful women, all come up with these monochromatic looks? So I think there had to be some sort of discussion like, hey, like we're all going to be wearing like one color and it's going to be like a bright color and everybody has like their own color, signature color. Because, you know, as a lot of people say, like when you show up at a party and somebody's wearing the same outfit as you, they got to make sure that they're not wearing the same outfit. So I think there's got to be some sort of collaboration. And I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of women um, were wearing pearls at home and all-star Chuck Taylors at home in to pay homage to uh, Kamala Harris. And it was funny because me and my Indian friends were all laughing because all of us were wearing like flip-flops. 
you know, we don't wear shoes. Indians and a lot of other Asians don't wear shoes at home. So I tweeted a picture of my bare feet and my flip flop saying that, yeah, I know a lot of people are wearing Chuck Taylors and pearls, but if you're at home and you're barefoot or wearing slippers like I am, you're kind of paying a monster to at least. Well, obviously, uh, if all the designers uh, were working in conjunction with one each other, have a certain look. Uh, Bernie's designer was not part of that planning process because he was not uh, uh, looking to. Do you feel Bernie doesn't? I don't think Bernie uses a fashion designer. I have to tell you this one thing. I was reading one of my fashion magazines a couple of months ago, and they were talking to this one woman who does makeup for all the political candidates. And she said Bernie was really difficult to put makeup on because he was didn't want it done. And she had to go really fast with him because he was like, like, hurry up, you know. And so she was talking about the different, um, you know, presidential candidates that she's worked with. And so she's this one woman that specializes in that. And, and she talks specifically about Bernie. So I don't think Bernie cares about fashion, which is fine. No, that's what I like about him. Oh, that's not literally what I like, but I, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people like that about him, that he's just a regular guy. doesn't care about fashion. Well, I can tell you this right now. When I, when I saw his look, I go, Oh, that's me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and we go through life. I'm speaking for myself. I look like a total schlub. Uh, and I've said this on the show many times with you on the, my wife and daughters wouldn't just, they take care of themselves. They look really good when we go out. And um, so do you feel Romana uh, that we've had this conversation before, but do you feel as though there's this, is, this is an unfair advantage that men have like the Bernie's and the Ben Benny's of the world don't have to think about how they look when they go out in public. For sure. For sure. And I personally don't blame him for what he was wearing because he's an older man and it was cold. And honestly, right now with the pandemic, that is my look right now. When I go outside, I I don't really care what I've looked like for the last year. It's like, you really can't, you know, people haven't gone for haircuts. Um, You know, it's like all these like letter regular maintenance people aren't doing. So it's okay. That's like the look everybody has right now. So, but no, men definitely have a leeway in this. And it doesn't matter what they look like. I mean, I mean, yeah, I guess Barack Obama got teased for his like tan suit and the mom jeans that he wore at uh, when he was pitching throughout the first pitch at the Sox game. But in general, I think women have it harder. I mean, people, you know, because Hillary Clinton wore the pantsuits, like people would always have some sort of comment about what she wore. And it really shouldn't matter. Like I said, like I pay attention to the stuff because I like it. But at the end of the day, nobody really, you, that's not what matters ultimately. It's like the, the, the decisions, the policies people make. So some people just like fashion and that's okay. And some yeah. people, that's fine too. Uh all right, we'll move from the fashion uh, to the poetry. Amanda Gorman, who, by the way, sticking with fashion, looks spectacular. I st- yeah, and she was. Those- Go ahead. I felt like her her look was monochromatic too. And before we forget, I know you mentioned Melania, who was in Florida. <laughs> so, like someone yeah. that same editor who was discussing with me yesterday, I was off yesterday from work. She sent me a message. She goes, "What was with Melania's dress?" And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that dress. And that looked like one of um, Miss Roper's, like, Moomoo's from Three's Company. I know I'm dating myself, but kid when Three's Company came out, we all knew who Miss Roper was. She was the wife of the landlord of Three's Company. So, um, yeah, I thought the poet, um, she, I think, was wearing monochromatic yellow, if I'm not mistaken. But I just saw the top. 
you know, everybody said that, I mean, I watched it. I was like half watching and half working and you could just hear the passion, passion in her voice. And every, she basically stole the show, I think for a lot, you know, for a lot of people and she did a great job and the poetry was great as well. One of the things you revealed to me uh, before we uh, we were having our pre-show talk was that you wrote poetry in high school. I, I didn't know that. Not even not even high school. I was maybe in first grade, first second grade, or maybe in fourth. Oh. <laughs> I, I like poems, and then you know we had to turn it in for school, and my teachers were amazed by my poetry at the time. Like, and so I was actually. Um, I know I laugh about it now, but um, I was singled out as a gifted child and a creative kid. And so I used to go to special classes for, um, you know, creative kids and they talk about different things and we'd write different stories. And I do like, I mean, I mean, I, I did, I was good at writing poetry for a while. I mean, there were like little kid poetry, but, but it was um, one of those things where um, I did it for a while, but I didn't stick with it in, but I took like, I took um, actually poetry classes in college where we studied I took a whole class on like poems and poetry and American poetry and different kinds of poetry and I loved it I still appreciate it but do I do it still no I'm a journalist so my, my creativity is kind of sapped now that I just like have to deal with facts but well these creative ways of presenting facts that are funnier and enlightening but uh, your point's well taken poetry um I, I've made fun of myself for the last couple of days uh, since the inauguration because uh, my attempts to write poetry were so embarrassing. Uh, and uh, that if I were to read them on the air, people would be laughing at me uh, even more than they laugh at how I look. So um, so I had tremendous respect for Amanda Gorman. That was perhaps uh, the highlight for me of the inauguration. Um, what do you think of uh, Joe Biden's speech? I thought, I thought it was good. I thought, um, you know, I know everybody's going to nitpick about his speech, but I think it was interesting and interesting. And he said, I think, you know, a lot of people like the fact that, you know, he mentioned white supremacy by name. Um, people said that he didn't necessarily, he didn't mention Trump's name. So everybody said that was significant. So I think, I, I think his speech was what a lot of people wanted to hear. Um, I don't think there was anything that really, it wasn't one of those speeches where I was like, wow, I'm going to remember that line all the time. But I think it was I think it got the message across about what needs to be done in this country. And, you know, I, I know some people will probably have issues with the unification. And we knew he was going to talk about unification and how not everything needs to be a fight. And, you know, I've seen a lot of commentary from people saying, like, I don't want to be unified with that side. Um, people who hate me, people who are racist. And uh, I think he's just trying to heal the country and undo what happened the last four years. And even with the, the first day, the first day that he was in office, I think on Wednesday, he undid a lot of things that the Trump administration did. So yeah. a lot of people were pretty happy with his speech. Um, you know, they, they thought he did a good job. I think that's mostly what I've been, the commentary I've been seeing. And then, you know, a lot of people were saying that, you know, the news conference afterwards, with the press secretary, I believe they, everybody was saying that it was refreshing that, you know, this was like, nobody was being, no reporters were being berated. And some of my friends who aren't reporters are like, well, I hope reporters don't aren't all enamored. Like they are like on Wednesday needs to, and I'm like, well, this is just the first day. Everybody's just relieved that it's not the status quo, what we had for four years ago. So, you know, a lot of people are saying, yeah, this, this administration is going to be held accountable too, but the, everybody was glad that, 
you know, the speech, like people were making a lot of friends, a lot of my friends were making jokes about how Biden's speech was like the first time someone was speaking complete sentences, like the president of the United States. And you know, people made jokes about Twitter and, you know, how, you know, the tweets are going to make sense now, or at least be in full sentences. So there are a lot of jokes. I kind of feel like, I feel like a lot of people were just sighing a collective sigh of relief. Yeah. No matter how they felt about it, no matter how they felt about Biden. Yeah, obviously there's some people who are supporting Trump and might be a little angry about it. But I even heard on CNN, I had the TV on. I haven't watched TV news or national news for a long time. But this year I did with the elections and everything, the Capitol riots and the inauguration. But there was some CNN commentator who was saying that they were talking to some members of Trump's staff. And they said that they even seemed to be relieved from Biden with Biden's inauguration. Man, okay, I just gotta, you know, like, Ramana, I, I can't even get the words out. All of a sudden, all these Trumpsters, oh, not a big boys out of the White House, doesn't have access to Twitter, not, you, you know, they're oh yeah, I, I really didn't support him all that much and I'm really, I don't know, I'm not really feeling that. What are, What's your thoughts about that? I think it, they need to be critiqued too for those people like, how come all of a sudden it took four years and a riot for people to suddenly wake up um, that I think a lot of people are going to be, I hope they are held accountable. I hope people, you know, there's sometimes I find it weird when people act like it's so refreshing for anyone to say anything against Trump and anybody in his administration or any Republican saying, Oh, wow, you know, I'm against this. And everybody acts like, you know, it's like such a big deal. And I'm like, well, aren't they doing what if he, if Trump is saying a misfact, isn't it their job to say that it's a misfact? Like, I don't know why people have to applaud people for telling the truth. And that's what people should, should have been doing from the beginning. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how people talk about these individuals and, you know, the people who, you know, I guess people would say that enable Trump in these last few years and all of a sudden waking up and saying like, Oh, we never, you know, this is terrible. And I'm like, didn't you think that all the stuff Trump did in the last four years? I think that a lot of people would say that those are terrible things with like, you know, the, the way he talked about different um, people of color groups, the Muslim ban, you know, the way he talked about women, like, what did you think this was going to snowball into? You look at someone like Mike Pence, who was pretty much standing by Donald Trump for a long time. And it was like, until the last minute, the plug was going to be about to be pulled out. And then he kind of had a change of heart. So I don't know. I think people need to be held accountable, like for the last few few years where they were just sitting there, not saying anything or kind of just saying whatever Trump was saying when it was a misfact was correct. I think I think everybody needs to be held accountable. Well, it'll be uh, I'll be watching. Now, you mentioned the uh, press briefing, uh, which I, I had some fun with yesterday when I was talking about it. Uh, Jen Psaki, I believe is her name, is the new uh, PR person at the White House. And um, when I was watching it, I could I could see that she was really bending over backwards uh, to be a, like a friendlier face dealing with reporters. Uh, and because Trump ran against the media. We all know that. That was like fake news, lying media. I mean, he just mocked and maligned them the whole time, called them out at his rallies. People would boo them. So that was part of what Sean Spicer uh, and the rest of the crowd, I'm blanking on their names. I could see there. Sarah Huckabee Sanders. God, these names are coming back to me, Vermont, yeah. like a bad nightmare. And uh, so Jen Psaki 
was really going out of her way to smile. I think she actually may have said that was a good question at one point to somebody. Uh, and everything was like, I'll get back to you. There was no sarcasm, you know, like, oh, what a stupid question that was. You're so political. But, I mean, just as a guy who's been in this game for a long time, there was a lot of, as I said, ducking and dodging and skating around. You know, she she was smiling, but she wasn't really saying much first and that's what one of my friends was saying like one of my friends who's not a reporter he's like well i hope like these reporters will stop like you know acting like this is like he's like well people need to stop gushing about joe biden i'm like well i think it was the first day everybody was just relieved and so he sent me an article i i think it it was like an opinion piece in the washington post and i'm like wait i can't read it because i was like signed out of it so i gotta read it but he was i did hear some commentary like that and I, i think that's one of the things that people need to remember and i think reporters will you have to hold people accountable it doesn't mean just because you know maybe this guy is a little better i shouldn't say little but you know he's a lot different than trump is um that you know people aren't going to be held accountable i think i think people i think reporters will i think the honeymoon will be over yeah i mean in, in the sense that i mean that there's going to be mutual respect but i think people will start pushing back yeah no, they'll, they'll be i guarantee you that, that will happen i've seen that happen uh, in chicago and everywhere it, it, sooner or later it's going to be a contentious relationship there's going to be controversial matters that the reporters are going to ask the press secretary about she is not going to want to answer those questions she'll evade the questions and things could get testy uh but i believe and that the the central what profile of the Trump administration and it started right off the bat with Sean Spicer, the lie, lie. You, it's really insulting, Ramon, and you know this because you've been in the game. It's really insulting for a reporter and reporters pride themselves on their ability to pick apart part a statement and see like where the BS is coming from. And it's really insulting to, for reporters to have to absorb lies. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I know you're lying to me right now and you lying to me is sort of like you're saying to me that I don't care that you know I'm lying or you think I'm so stupid. It's, it's like a, it's something reporters really re- respond to. Uh, like just when, when Lori Lightfoot did the other couple weeks ago with the whole Anjanette Young uh, matter. I don't know if we talked about it that much, but um, you know, where she just, blatantly misspoke or as uh, Monroe said, she was, she misquoted herself, I think is how he euphemistically put it. So what I'm saying is that eventually, and I'm hoping uh, that the standards that reporters expected from Trump, which he violated about telling the truth will also exist with uh, Joe Biden. I'm hoping at the very least that that's the case. Yeah. I think everybody um, watching is hoping that hoping for that, that, you know, it's not like because of what everybody went through for the last few years, they won't want them to be evasive or not to answer their questions. Um, I think there'll be a little difference in the way like certain reporter. I think every reporter will get picked on because we heard that Donald Trump wouldn't pick on certain reporters and let them ask questions and would interrupt. I think maybe we will see a little less of that. But yeah, we we hope that reporters will still be persistent and not give this administration a pass because it's starkly different than the previous administration. 
Uh, I, uh, I'm hoping that this uh, standard is applied to uh, all politicians as well. I don't know if you saw this. Um, I was having fun with this uh, Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz uh, from Texas. What did he say? He oh, uh, it had to do uh, with the Paris Accords, uh, and you know Joe Biden said we're going to uh, uh, abide by the Paris Accords. We're going to join the rest of the world and try to limit the amount of uh, pollution uh, that we send uh, into the atmosphere. Uh, and Ted Cruz tweeted out that he cares more about Paris than he does about Pittsburgh, which is a line that Donald Trump used. And the only thing about Paris in the Paris Accord is that the Accords were agreed to in Paris. It's it's got nothing to do. And, you know, so everybody made fun of him on Twitter. But I also noticed reporters going out of their way to point out that Paris has nothing to do to do with the Paris Accords other than it was the location. Yeah. And I'm hoping that's a standard that reporters, you know, I've seen it here in the, uh, in the local press. I actually, I think it's better now than it used to be. I think reporters are now calling out like the mayor when she says something that's not consistent with what they know to be the truth. I think there's more, what, how was it? Uh, a bolder assertion on the part of reporters to just like break out of the confines of what, you know, what, objective you know what i'm saying like objective mean objective in quotes you can see those quotes and you know you know what i'm saying romano where um like well the the mayor said that or the president said that's not really my place to question what they say i just have to accurately represent it i'm hoping that we're changing your thoughts on this of course if there's misfacts i think it's important for reporters to say well actually according to this this actually happened or that's not the case. You know, I think it's important when there are misfacts by politicians to point out that actually this is what happened. If there's evidence to the contrary, I think that's important. That's part of the story. As a reporter, you're supposed to be doing that. Yeah. Uh, Ted Cruz got nailed by the way, uh, for his, uh, silliness. I didn't know about uh, that tweet. I'm glad you're on Twitter paying attention. Okay. So I think I explained this to you before. Um, I don't know how all of a sudden, and I'm like, I feel almost Romano-like because of this, because uh, I am not on Twitter. I get this thing about Twitter, but I could show this to you. I will now illustrate this uh, for Romano on my phone. Every time I go, I'm showing Romano. Every time I uh, click, uh, whoops, hold on. Let me uh, get rid of all this stuff. So every time I go to Google to look something up and I click on it, uh, it has a list. You see that list of yeah. all the things that are trending. So number one is the Powerball, Powerball jackpot lottery. Well, I'm not really that concerned about that, but you know, I'll see uh, Congressman Madison Cawthorn. He's the uh, young MAGA congressman from North Carolina. He's trending. Uh, so I click on that, and that's how this ancient guy, this dinosaur, is now remotely on top of things. That's good. good. Just so you know, different things trend differently on Twitter than they do on Google because there's kind of like a different audience, but still it's good. I I, I do see that you're kind of keeping in touch with all the talking, talking um, points or talking, you know, things that are talkers. Yes. Pretty much in touch of, I'm on top of it. Yes. Yeah, so I knew about Ted Cruz. Uh, in the old days, I'd have to wait for it to come out in the New York Times or the Sun Times. I'd be like three days behind. Yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. Uh, I gave you a homework assignment and I know you dutifully uh, 
did your homework assignment. Uh, I thought Eric Zorn did a really good job uh, today talking about uh, presidential pardons. Gave him a shout out. Uh, and uh, But the part of the, the column that intrigued me was, was Brian Urlacher, former linebacker of the Bears, playing Donald Trump? Uh, did he, did he uh, pull a con job on the greatest con man when he started sucking up to Donald and saying wonderful flowery things about him on his little Twitter account and what a great president he is? And was it all a about just trying to win a pardon for his brother, I'm starting to think that Brian Urlacher played the player. What do you think? I, I think you. I think Eric Zorn had a good point because we all know that Donald Trump loves flattery, and I think as soon as Casey Urlacher, uh, Brian Urlacher's brother, was charged in a, a illegal gambling, some sort of ties to illegal gambling ring. And Brian Urlacher, um, I think maybe a week after he got indicted or maybe a few days after he like, I think he reached out to Donald Trump's. Uh, I think he, he had he had some sort of connection with um, somebody in the security team, um, according to the Sun-Times, according to Michael C. from the Sun-Times. And then there was some sort of connection made. And all of a sudden, Brian Urlacher and his family are hanging out at the White House. They have like they're there for some sort of Christmas celebration. And then all of a sudden, Brian Urlacher is giving money to Donald Trump. Um, and so, yeah, if you put two and two together, you wonder if Brian Urlacher, you know, obviously all of us know what kind of makes Donald Trump move. Like you have to flatter him and tell him that he's the greatest president in the world. And no other president has done more for black people than Donald Trump has. Or just kind of like throw these like, you know, sentences out and he'll love it. He loves flattery. His like ego is just huge so yeah i think that's a good point i didn't even think about that but i just thought like oh okay brian urlacher is a trump supporter and that's what you know put two and two together but eric thorne's column kind of threads takes the needle and threads it together and i think i think he i think that is a valid point it, it pop, pop possibly is a valid point. possibly that that's really what happened yeah, he, he read from the book of Blago, saw how it worked for Blago, Brian Urlacher did, and said, oh, I'll do this. Uh, I'll suck up to Donald, and he got his brother out. Now we'll, be, well, now we'll know if Brian Urlacher starts tweeting out stuff about how much he supports Bernie. Then we'll know I was just a, a <laughs> I con. I, I have a feeling that Brian Urlacher is not a Bernie supporter. No. That's just my two cents. I don't think there's a football player in the NFL who's a Bernie supporter. That's how weird football is. It's just, maybe, maybe Colin Kaepernick. Maybe some of the... Uh, uh, the black, the maybe some of the black players. I, I, I would think that some of the white players they tend to lean a little right. That's just my stereotype. I could be wrong too. I think you're right. Uh, I don't even think it leans right. They're so right, they fall over. Uh, I can't think of one lefty. No, that's not true. Uh, there's a couple lefty white players, but you're right, by and large. And they're so clueless. It's like these football coaches, Romana, who like profess their love to Donald Trump. They're so freaking clueless. They don't realize, like most of the players who play for them are black guys, 97%. You know what I'm saying? Of a black voter, black America voted for against Donald Trump. Let's just yeah. put it that way. Yep. And what are these football coaches thinking? Well, I guess they don't think. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's like a culture of, that's what the football culture is. Like it kind of caters toward, and I'm not saying, I mean, obviously there's so many different kinds. I mean, I, there are so many football plant fans who are totally left, but I don't know. It's like this Americana thing. And, you know, Donald Trump is all about keeping America great again. So I think it's just this old, old fashioned, like what 
America is. And it's kind of ingrained in it. Like, I don't know. I don't know how you were raised in Evanston, right? For some of like your life. And yeah, part of it. Evanston in Rhode Island, whatever. But I don't know. Like when I grew up, I grew up obviously in the northern suburbs. Football was a big deal in the '80s in general, like you know, being a football player. But I don't know. In the school that I went to at the time, which was mostly Jewish and Asian American, being a football player was definitely cool because it was the '80s. Being a football player, cheerleader, that just put you on the top tier in the you know the high school hierarchy. But football wasn't that big of a deal at the end of the day. Like we, like I never went to a high school football game. And then meanwhile, my husband, Mick, who grew up in a small town in Michigan, like football was everything to them. And, you know, they, they, and I, and he told me he's been to like football games after he graduated. And I'm like, why would he do that? <laughs> and, and so, you know, like football is such a big deal. Like he said, it was like Friday night lights. So I feel like that's what most of America is. And I, I, I try to explain to him all the time. I'm like, He's, they had, I told him he, he thinks that there was a football program in my, you know, in Lincolnwood schools, like in seventh and eighth grade. I go, no, we didn't have football until high school. And he, 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 he keeps having this argument and he's like, there's no way then. And I go, no, maybe in your school, they started playing football young, but in my, in my junior high, no, nobody started playing or my, you know, the school I went to. And I told him, let me check with my brother. My brother's like, no, we had no seventh or eighth grade. Like there was no sort of football program. People played baseball. So it's like, I think that's like this culture that I'm not even familiar with because I grew up in like a Chicago uh, suburb that's close to the city and mix like, no, people do care about football. And I always, we always have this argument. We go around in circles. I go, no, I think it depends on where you grew up. I don't think a big city like Chicago, it's a big deal. No, don't get me wrong. Playing a sport is a big deal, but I feel like the football cliche is not that common in big cities in the suburbs, maybe some suburbs in Naperville or something. Well, there okay. So, we're generally not allowed to have sports conversations in the Bill oh. show, but we're going to let's let's break that rule anyway. Uh, and um, there's there's a park district programs where they teach kids how to play football in many suburbs throughout the Chicago area. But like what you're get talking about is like having a, a seventh or eighth grade football team itself in a local school. It's not existent. We didn't even have a program like in the suburb. And I don't think they had one in nearby Skokie. They didn't have one in Lincolnwood. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying football wasn't a big deal. It was, it was the eighties. I, I, in fact, I feel football has less of a cachet than it did when we were younger, but I don't think that people cared about it that yeah. way. Well, I got to say this, that the, the, the mentality uh, that, that sort of attracts football coaches to Donald Trump uh, really warrants, in my humble opinion, uh, study. It's like everything else in this country where people are attracted to Donald Trump. So I'm like, what is the message that Donald Trump is emitting that attracts you? And why does it attract you? And I feel like football, like football coaches, is just one very small subset of that larger discussion, Ramana. And uh, it, it's like you and I—we talk so many times, like like people, Indian Americans who are for Donald Trump, uh, black people who are for Donald Trump, Jewish people who are for Donald Trump. Like he's, what is it about what he's saying? that draws you in, even though you have to know somewhere in the back of your mind that it's detrimental to your existence uh, in this country to promote what he's saying. Why, why do you feel attracted? And I I don't know if we'll ever have that reckoning in this country, um, but I do believe we should have it. For sure. For sure. I can break, I mean, if we ever have a show, I can break down why I think different certain groups 
do. And I've listened to podcasts where like people talked about Mexican Americans. I understand the Indian Americans, like a certain group of Indian Americans who are going to vote for Donald Trump. I understand it, but we could have a whole show on this. Right, we'll have a whole show there. I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, India. But by the way, we, I didn't even mention Kamala Harris, uh, Vice President Harris. Uh, did you have any particular feelings when you saw her get sworn in? I'm, I'm a journalist, so I'm more of a skeptic, you know, with a lot of things. But I think it was symbolic for a lot of um, African-Americans, a lot of South Asian-Americans, a lot of Asian-Americans that this is like the first, you know, black um, vice president female. And she's a female. So there's so many firsts involved. So I think a lot of people did feel like this, the symbolism, of just kind of like with Barack Obama. It's like. You know, people can criticize him, but just him getting elected into office. I remember when Barack Obama was in when he was his inauguration, they said Barack Hussein Obama. Um, And I was like, whoa, that's like my last name. So, you know, you do kind of feel this like, wow, this is this has happened. So, yeah. And, you know, I, I have friends who's like daughters you know, who are South Asian were really impressed. And we had an article in the Sun-Times yesterday and Samina Mustafa, who's like a guest on her show, her younger sister, um, her youngest sister was in the papers quoted about how her daughter was really excited and, you know, she was excited. And it's really funny because their mom, Samina Mustafa and Arjuman's mom, they were asking their her mom, you know, she's obviously older, um, American, you know, older Asian and South Asian American. And she was like, she wasn't impressed. That's what was really funny. She's like, I knew it was inevitable, but there's so many Indians and so many Indian Americans and so many African Americans who are so smart. It was inevitable that we're going to have a female vice president. So it was kind of funny how she was not impressed, but the younger uh, by the way, you mentioned Samina Mustafa. One of your shout out to Samina. A lot of our uh, listeners go, when are you bringing Samina back? And Samina moved. Uh, and so she's been very busy and very distracted. I talked to her on the phone and uh, we, I, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that I'll book her for next week. Cannot wait to hear what Samina has to say. She's unapologetic lefty uh, and uh, she just uh, doesn't hold back. And she's a dear friend of the show. So I think next week she'll have her schedule manageable uh, Ramana we can bring her back she was a regular on the show uh, before she moved out of Chicago all right time where we do Ramana's rundown uh, your recommendations and uh, so what's at the top of your list for your recommendations well after you mentioned it and I had thought about it I am going to watch probably watch the white tiger over the weekend it's based on a novel I think it won a booker prize um, a lot of Indians think Priyanka Chopra is kind of annoying um, Indian Americans. Uh, she's the woman in the, she's like, she's a former Miss World or Miss India. Um, but she said some annoying things sometimes that people kind of find annoying. And then she married a Jonas Brothers brother guy. So like everybody, that. my mom is like, why did she marry him? She, he's like really like younger compared to which it doesn't matter. But mom's like, why did she marry a kid? And then, but you know, my, that's my mom's. I hope- but I'm still going to watch, I'm still going to watch it. And it sounds good. It's it's based on a novel about this young, poor Indian man who is works as a driver for this rich family. So I'm going to watch that. And last week, I if anybody hasn't seen it yet, I do recommend One Night in Miami, which I watched. And I was going to mention to you, so like when I was watching that, speaking about football, you know, I knew who all the... I knew three of the characters, obviously. I knew who Malcolm X was. I knew who Cassius Clay was, you know, Muhammad Ali. And I knew who... Um, God, why am I blanking? Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke was. 
But then I didn't know who Jim Brown was. I'm sorry. Wow. I'm, 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 <laughs> like, who's, I told Mac, I'm like, I don't know who Jim Brown is. And he's like, oh, how could you not know who he is? Anyway, he's an NFL player. But anyway, I started Googling about him afterwards. But you know, did you know that he was a Trump supporter now? Oh, yeah. I can, just, uh, just I, a shout out. We're, we're going to do a whole thing on uh, One Night in Miami. Uh, Kevin Blackstone's coming on. We're going to take a deep dive on Jim Brown. Very problematic life. Uh, Jim Brown uh, beating up women. He's got a lot of issues. Uh, yes, he uh, he said he voted for Hillary Clinton, but then uh, he met with Trump at Trump Tower right after the election. Uh, he was with Kanye when Kanye came to the White House uh, in that really bizarre scene. I don't know if you remember that one where Kanye started lecturing. <laughs> Trump's looking at Kanye like, whoa, this guy's even weirder than I am. And um, so, yes, uh, very... Yes, I'm a well aware. See, I, but I see. Here's the thing, Ron. I have a confession to make. Please don't hold this against me. I was really into Jim Brown in the '60s when I was a kid. He oh, he was in movies. All these movies that I saw, these westerns and black exploitation movies. So. I had no idea he was in it, but I guess yeah, I started looking up the movies he was in. And I remember my brother watching. I'm gonna get you, sucker. So I was like. Oh, okay. He was in it. I'm like, Mick is like, you probably have seen some movie with him in it. And I was like, okay. But I felt bad because I didn't know who Jim Brown was. I'm like, I was, I was embarrassed at the same. Well, it's, it's okay. You're, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, One Night in Miami, great flick. Uh, Sir, uh, Sergio Mims and I, were uh, we talked about it. We'll drop that on Monday. Um, so I'm glad you got a chance to, to see it. I, I have to give um, you the one who saw this first. I loved this Netflix uh it's only five parts. I guess they're going to drop the next five parts. Am I pronouncing it wrong? Lupin or Lupine? How do you pronounce it, Romana? Because, you know, when I listen to them in French say it, it, it just it's just like Lupin or something. So it's completely, I call it Lupin, but it was, I, I liked it. It was very far-fetched, but I did like it. And it, it's like, there's five, there's five um, episodes on the first, first, I guess they showed five and then they drop five more later. You know, you said something to me today. I've been thinking about it. Uh, you said that because we're in a pandemic, that we like things more than they probably really warrant. And I'm like, I'm raving about this movie. And I, you know, I've I've said this. I've admitted this in the show. I'm really paranoid about catching the virus, so I stay at home a lot. I don't get out much at all, putting it mildly. So I'm like, really dependent on watching these shows to get me through the monotony of it all. And so maybe that's maybe like, Oh my God, these like, you gotta watch. I'd be texting yeah. my daughter. You gotta watch Lupine or Lupin or whatever it's called. Like Lupin. I thought, I mean, Lupine, Lupin, however it's pronounced, I did like it. And I thought it was fun, but there's some movies and shows people have been going on and on and on about. And you're just like, okay, this is good, but why <laughs> of gloating and then you hear people like brag about something and then like five minutes later like 10 uh, next next week everybody forgot about it so i feel like people just need something to tweet about or say something about and then everybody just like they just need something to get excited about so and that's what everybody's been doing is binging and watching yeah. so i think that I, that's that's just i just think everybody's standards have gotten really low during the yeah. pandemic 
Uh, all right, maybe that's a that's the real blame it on the pandemic. Although there are some people who go unnamed. Uh, their Ramada thinks their standards are too low across the board, but we're not going to name names. Uh, Ramada, stay safe and sound. And I know you take this pandemic uh, every bit as serious as I do. I know that because you were wearing a mask when the show began and you're looking out for your mom. So I can really appreciate that. So stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you next week. All right. See you guys later. Take care. All right. That's the great Ramana Hussein every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, Dennis, you got any updates before we head out that door? Ramana, wait. Oh, she just hung out. <laughs> you know, that gag never gets old. It's in not a gag. I, I want to suggest something. And I, she drops off every time. I mean to give her the suggestion. I was going to suggest she watch the blue collar comedy tour. I think she'd like it. Oh, okay. I'll, a, I'll, I'll text her right now. There I think she'd go. get a kick out of that cable guy, Larry, the cable guy, you know? Mm, hold on Larry the cable guy by the way did you see the picture of Dave Chappelle and Joe Rogan I didn't tell you but we didn't talk about this in pre-show I watched the interview with Dave Chappelle on Joe Rogan whoa he just trumped my ace Uh, I just saw a picture of them (laughs) either Dave Chappelle is really tall or or Joe Rogan is not tall that's it's B buddy it's the latter very small guy Uh, Okay, did not realize that. Yeah, small fella. All right, let's do the back half here. Great podcaster. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, let's do the back half. First up, uh, congratulations is in order, Ben. Yeah, it looks like a Chicagoland politician will be joining the administration of our newly inaugurated president, Joey B. Joe Biden. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Lynn Sweet. Okay, pull up Sun-Times. No, got the paywall. Let me block that from the Sun-Times. All right, here we go. Sheila Nix, an Oak Park resident who was a senior advisor in President Joe Biden's campaign, will join the administration as chief of staff in the U.S. Department of Education. When ex-president Barack Obama was in the White House, Nix was chief of staff for then second lady Jill Biden the new first lady. Last summer, after Biden tapped Vice President Kamala Harris to be his running mate, Nix became a senior campaign advisor to Harris at the time, a senator from California. Sheila Nix, congratulations. Ben, anything you'd like to say? I don't know, Sheila Nix. I saw that article, and uh, I could generally say this. Uh, Most of these appointees are people who come from the center of the Democratic Party. And we, we discussed this uh, last year a lot, uh, Dennis, the, um, the fact that the Democratic Party is a very like closed group. You have to know somebody to get in, so to speak, or you have to play the game. We just got finished talking about this with the state reps who were upset that uh, Chris Welch, when he became Speaker of the House, did not name them uh, to positions of authority uh, in the, the Democratic Party and the House, and I pointed out the Democratic caucus in the House, I pointed out, well, you got to play the game, you know, to a certain degree to get ahead in the game. And many activists were upset with uh, Nancy Pelosi, where she made it clear that if a strategist works for an incumbent, works for a a Democrat who's challenging an incumbent congressperson, uh, that strategist will not be hired in the Democratic Party at all. I think that's... uh, I thought that was a bad, dumb idea. I think that was cutting the uh, Democratic Party off or some of the, the bright minds that are out there. But that's how the game is played. And that's how, you know, I, I understand that because I've always been an outsider, sort of watching things from afar. 
so yeah, I'm looking at all these appointees, the people who are the spokespersons, the people who are the deputies. Uh, these are the jobs, you know, the people who will do like all the grunt work and the hard work. And most of these people are your basic Democratic Party insiders. They have contacts to elected officials. They work for the elected officials. Uh, and so that's who gets promoted, D. That's the reality. Just think of all the people who come to our show who are of, of the left. <laughs> none of them. None of them are good. You know, I, I can name any names. I love them all dearly. Uh, but um, none of them have been named so far uh, in any position for uh, Joe Biden, as, as far as I can see. So that's how the game is played, D. It's uh, very much the Democratic Party is still controlled by, like, what, the Clinton crowd, the Obama crowd. And Biden is of that crowd. So it's the Biden crowd. So, yeah, I wasn't surprised to see it was a centrist who got the gig. Uh, hey, look at this. Joe Biden would like to congratulate Sheila Nix on her new position. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player uh -huh. on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Well, I hope you made sense of that, Sheila, because I didn't. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I saw, uh, I said this yesterday, but uh, Jen Psaki, who is the um, new press secretary, worked for ROM back in 2006. Oh, there we go. And uh, I saw, <laughs> I'm like, you know, that. Uh, you can't be, you, you shouldn't have biases, all right? I'm really working with this all the time. So just because you work for Rom uh, does not mean anything, right? Does it? it was 2006, it was a long time ago. It's not like she was advising him to bury the Laquan McDonald tape, okay? She probably doesn't even know about the Laquan McDonald tape. And her favorite line is, I'll get back to you. So if I were to ask her about it, she'd go, I'll get back to you in that, okay? Uh, <laughs> you're going to hear a lot of that, you know? I'll get back to you in that, D. Uh, Dennis asked me, uh, do you want to talk uh, about uh, Sheila Nix? Uh, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> um, so, but uh, yeah, I wasn't surprised. A lot of, a lot of uh, these people work for Rom. You know, I'm like, I can't hold that against them necessarily, right? You know, we have to all do weird things. I mean, think of all the jobs that you've held. Uh, D in your life, uh, some of the shadier people that you've worked for. Oh, so uh, many. <laughs> So I'm saying, I, I worked midnights. I, I worked midnights at a grocery store one time when I was like 19, and there was a dude. Uh, his name was uh, well, I uh, it couldn't have been his real name, but all he he said his name was Rowdy, <laughs> and he had a mullet all the way down to his butt. <laughs> okay, well, I got that guy has more credibility in my book than Rom, but so you know what I'm saying. Just saying, yeah. based on everything you said. I, were, but, I lasted uh, one month at that place. They, I would uh, I ate lunch with Rowdy one time. He's like, hey, man, let's eat some lunch. I'm like, dude, it's 2 in the morning. What do you think about lunch? You... This wasn't the environment for me. Uh, I'm thinking about one guy. I never worked for anybody as uh, colorful uh, as Rowdy. Uh, but I worked for a guy. This is years and years ago. He's probably dead by now. And um, so it was this uh, publication we worked for. And uh, I was the editor. It was two people, him and me. And his thing was, what you do is you just continually send out uh, subscription cards, asking people to subscribe, no matter if they just subscribed. And his theory was that people don't even pay attention. Like, like let's say you send it to their office. Uh, the secretary opens up the mail and gives it to them. You know, oh, yeah, subscribe. So, the, like, it could be the third time they subscribe. 
He goes, we can make a lot of money. This, this is the guy. He would tell me this over lunch. He loved French toast, by the way. So we'd be sitting here having lunch. Part of my job was to have lunch with the guy. And I was starting out. He would be eating his French toast, giving me his worldview. So yeah, would you hold that against me? Because I worked for that guy many years ago. So I can't be that way about Jen Psaki. You know, she probably thought it was a great job in 2006. She was working for Rom. She, Called all her relatives. Say, Mom, I got a job working for Rahm Emanuel. Oh, that's nice, honey. <laughs> so anyway, centrists. You're always going to get ahead. That's why everybody's a centrist. Right, D? What's that? Yeah. Uh, oh, Ben, the newsroom's flagging me down. We must have breaking oh. news here. Hang tight. Let okay. me run to the newsroom. This better be good. We are live. Hang tight, everybody. Hey, give me the story. Come on. You're embarrassing me. Oh, that's a good idea, actually. That is a good idea. Hey, Ben, what if we did like a subscription to the Ben Jarofsky show, monthly subscribers? Huh? What do you think about that? Huh? I think it's a great idea. Oh, yeah. Just continually send out. Yeah. And then, you know, next thing you know, someone subscribed like three times. We'll get all their money. We may go there anyway. We may go there anyway. Oh, that's a little foreshadowing. No, it's not. Like, we don't have any plans to do that. Oh. This is a great story. Uh-huh. Breaking news. <laughs> Good job. And uh, newsroom, apparently they're doing indoor dining this weekend. Don't come in here next week. All right. <laughs> they're doing indoor dining. Well, I, hey, they're opening up schools. Governor Pritzker says it's okay. Go ahead. Knock yourself out, guys. All right. We have a few details on Governor Pritzker's COVID-19 press briefing. He delivered it at noon today. Here's the press release from the Pritzker administration. Building on the state's progress in administering the COVID-19 vaccine, Governor J.B. Pritzker announced that the state will move into the early stages of phase 1B of the COVID-19 vaccine administration plan beginning Monday, January 25th. For those following at home, let's move your uh, card there back to phase 1B. While federal vaccine shipments to states remain limited, the state is aggressively building out provider capacity to ensure efficient distribution as soon as more vaccines become available. Illinois remains committed to distributing the vaccine in an equitable, accessible way and as part of phase 1B, all residents over the age of 65 and frontline essential workers can receive the vaccine. Illinois will begin vaccinating eligible residents by appointment only. Also, attention sports fans. Working, al- working alongside the Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity, the DCEO, and the Illinois State Board of Elections, the ISBE, The IDPH, oh boy, are you confused? I am. That's the Illinois Department of Health. Uh, Also announced sports guidance for all youth and adult recreational sports under phase four of the Restore Illinois plan. Sports guidance under phase four expands the level of play allowed for all sports to allow play at the intra-conference region or league levels. While regions in the state continue to move toward phase four of the Restore Illinois plan, The risk of a resurgence, particularly with the new variants, such as the UK variant, remains serious. The state urges all Illinois residents to continue following guidance aimed at reducing the spread of COVID-19, such as wearing a mask, reducing interactions outside the household, practicing social distancing, frequent hand washing, and receiving the COVID-19 vaccine when eligible. Forward, one step back. Hey, good news. We're going to open up restaurants. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. There's a new strain. Look out. Hide. 
We actually have audio. We have, we have audio here uh, from the press conference. Let's go ahead and hear it. Uh, I believe this is Dr. Azike. I hope that we'll all use the experience that we have garnered as we go forward so that we don't, in fact, see another surge and go back into higher levels of mitigation that would suspend these levels of play. Anything else you'd like to say, doctor? I hear and I see and I feel the passion around youth sports. I take very seriously the value that recreational outlets offer the physical and the mental health of our children. <laughs> that was so unnecessary to play that. I was all set to have a serious response. Sports are back. Who, <laughs> who, Sports, sports, sports. Six feet, six know, feet. Man. Sports, sports, sports. It's been a year with this pandemic. Do you realize that? Yeah. Well, not quite a year. Yeah. I mean, it was around this time that I was just like, just coming to terms with everything. I remember talking to you informally, I think this thing's gonna be real. I remember uh, Lori Lightfoot's, when her first response was, let's not exaggerate, continue to go out to eat. You know, remember that day? Remember, remember that one? Uh, it's, and now it's gonna be, be a year in March since we left the studio. So that's really, I remember those last weeks, the last days when you were in the studio. Everybody was kind of nervous. We started putting the um, tissue paper over the microphones. Remember that, day? Yeah, that was weird. So weird. And then finally said, you know what? Let's bounce. Uh, I would take Kleenex and put them over the microphone and put a rubber band. And then a guest would come on. Oh, let me get you a new Kleenex rubber bandy thing I made. Yeah, I know. And nobody was wearing masks back then. But we put the Kleenex there. Uh, And... um, and we would like, you know, wipe down the equipment and stuff like that. Which is like first coming to terms with it. And so uh, it's really hard for me. D, I've been like in this attic for so long. It's really hard for me to take serious this notion that like this is we're, we're emerging from it. Because I remember the last time I heard, like, hey, we can start going back to bars and restaurants. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't well, that long ago. And it's good news. The numbers are down. And, you know, without uh, a vaccine, I got the feeling the numbers will come back up. So that's why I'm uh, very cautious, among other things, about reopening schools. You know, it's just like this urgency takes over uh, and um, just compels us to feel like we have to do something. So let's do this now. So, yeah, D, um, uh, I hear what the doctor said and I, I hear that the good news why do i feel like this is a song that's been performed before huh well i tell you what i'm going glass half full i say it's gonna work out this time glass half full how about that huh the glass is half full okay just drop the glass <laughs> just get the I, and by the way I, i'm waiting for the investigations as to why it's taking so long to get the vaccines uh to illinois and i gotta tell you folks i've been saying this all day just the anecdotal stuff I hear from people about how to get a vaccine. Oh yeah, I can handle it. Here's what you do. You call this number, tell them Billy Bob told you to call, ask for Dr. Nick. Okay. Then what you do is you show up to the back door of the house. Don't go to the front door, go to the back door, knock three times 
and say, when they answer the door, say, cuckoo sent me and you'll get the vaccine. That's, you know, so it works in Chicago. You got to know somebody, got to have the inside tip. Hey, teachers, get back to work anyway. All right. Don't forget that, D. Get in that classroom okay. right now. All right. I will. <laughs> Not in school, but okay. <laughs> We're going to make you go in that classroom, Dr. D. Yeah. How about that? So there you go. That is the latest on JB. A few details there on JB Pritzker's COVID 19 update. Uh, Governor Pritzker, anything you'd like to say? Face cover. Okay. I figured you'd say that. <laughs> the enemy. Is you. Oh, well, that was uncalled for. Hey, Lori Lightfoot, anything you'd like to say? Thank God. Yeah? Science is back, baby. Oh, interesting. Phyllis, what about you? Springfield politicians, they promise they won't tax retirement income if their constitutional amendment passes. Same thing every time. (laughs) Phyllis is a little upset. I got a text message from her. I opened the show. Um, You're hearing this in the back half, so you don't know. I opened the show by listing the top 10 MAGA uh, people in Illinois. Uh, then I realized as I started reading the list, I only had nine. <laughs> so I only, it turned out to be the top nine. Okay. <laughs> so we're just going to take care of that in the edit. Yeah. Yeah. Clean that up a little bit for And we'll submit we'll that do. one for we'll the do. award. We'll okay. do. We'll get that award in no time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, that's something else we've been talking about a lot. Uh, the reader is going to nominate our show for award for podcast. Yes. I want to win. Please. Anyway, Phyllis is upset because she was only number five. And she kind of earned to be higher, she thinks, because, by the way, I've just made up this. I never had a conversation with Phyllis in my life. But she did almost single-handedly defeat the fair tax. So maybe I should make her higher on the list. Yeah, I don't know. I may revisit this list over the weekend and get back to you, right? Phyllis is concerned. Phyllis is concerned. <laughs> so there you go, everybody. That's a week of Ben Jarofsky shows. Make sure to check out this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews available at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download podcasts Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning. If you missed the lineup, well, we'll run it through real quick here. Saturday, Gregory Pratt of the Chicago Tribune. Sunday, activist and journalist Sue Oniveros. And on Monday, the return of the director of the Black Harvest Film Festival, the one, the only Sergio Mims. Check those out. Download them. Subscribe. Give us a review. Five stars only. You know how it goes. Uh, also, too, uh, you can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and so much more at the same site, chicagoreader.com. Uh, if you download, check out the live stream chat sometimes. We're Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at the Chicago Reader YouTube channel. And you can follow us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us an email, Show at gmail.com. And you can call us. Yes, we have a phone number, 708 658 Four seven eight eight. That number again, 708-658-4788. We would love to hear from you. All right. Good job, Dr. D. I want to thank Ramana Hussein. Uh, outstanding as she always is. Ramana Rundown every Friday in Bender Oscar Show. And of course, the man, the myth, the much, and the pride and joy of all in Illinois, without whom uh, the show would be possible. And as every single member of that top nine MAGA list, from Brian Erlocker. To State Senator Darren Bailey, big boy himself, will tell you. Back home in August, they call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. Face coverage.
face coverage. The enemy. The enemy is you.